you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Here we are for another in-person episode of Bare Naked Money. Colin and I get the flesh looking at the whites of each other's eyes. Today, we're talking about education. Everybody needs a good education, right, Colin? Oh, really? You want to start right there? <laughs> well, as a parent and as somebody who's gone to school, I have opinions about education that aren't shared by everybody. And that's not going to taint a whole lot of this conversation, but it is going to provide some color. Education is a thing. People want to give education to their children because they believe it leads them to a better life. And you could argue that by and large, that's true. Well, save the rest of the argument for later in the podcast. I'm sure we'll get into it because we're going to start by talking about how to fund education. So Josh, pop quiz, what's the simplest way to pay for your kid's education? This thing called a scholarship trust is what I've heard. Everybody's told me that this is the absolute best way to do it. No, no, but your bank account, Josh, <laughs> you got money in the bank and you pay for your kid's education. That's the simplest way to do it. And you know what? For some people, it doesn't have to get more complicated than that. But if you're willing to put up with a bit more complication, it might be able to get better, right? Yeah, it's an ownership trust. It's, 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 I always thought I was going to prompt you to keep going with that. <laughs> but no, you keep going. Okay, so we'll save that for last. Let's talk generally about RESPs, Registered Education Savings Plans. Now, as professional financial advisors, free money. Are you in favor of free money, Josh? Especially in favor when it comes from the government. There you go. Free government money. It just tastes better and it smells better. So RESPs offer a, a erstwhile parents who's trying to provide for a better education for their children, a way to partake of the font of free money. So how does that work, Josh? So you have to have an RESP opened first. It's an account type, an investment account type. And the government is going to match 20% of your contributions to that RESP up to $2,500 per child per year. Yeah. Yeah. So $2,500 contribution will be 20% of that will be granted. Yes. Right. So what that means, you're looking at about a $500 per year grant from the government for each one of your children between the ages of one and 16. What if I miss a year, Josh? Well, if you miss a year, Colin, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so if you miss a year, you can double up on your payments in a future year. So if you miss a year, not the end of the world. If you miss the $2,500 contribution one year or contribute less than $2,500 for one year, the $2,500 or less of contribution will carry forward to a future year. So let's say, for example, that you miss five years. You open an RESP when your child is six. Does it still make sense? Yes, it does still make sense. Because from the age of six going forward, you'll have five years where you can contribute $5,000 in each of those years and get up to $1,000 a contribution of a grant, rather, from the government for each of those years. And I love that you're calculating the maximum amount and I just want to allow for the fact that you may not love your children that much. Therefore, the maximum amount may be in excess of what you really need to put away for the little grounds, depending on your given mood. 
but also depending on your other goals that you have financially, right? Because again, people are trying to balance paying down mortgages, putting money in RSPs. If you only need $20,000 to do what you want to do for your child, then why would you put away 70, right? Because maybe that other money could go and get other types of free money from the government doing different kinds of strategies. So, you know, step one is to have a goal. Maximizing free money, yeah, that's not the worst goal, but there may be more effective ways of accomplishing this goal while still accomplishing other goals. Yeah. So let me ask the question then. Somebody sitting in front of you says, should I contribute to an RESP, an RRSP, or a TFSA? What's your answer? Oh, you, you sly W. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> no, this, this is where the planning aspect comes in. And this is, again, we're talking about a specific part of planning here. And when people start talking about maximums, unfortunately, some people construe that as advice. Well, it must be a good thing to put away $2,500 a year because that's what the government will match. And they let that substitute for actual rational thought, which may lead you in a completely different direction. So our challenge to clients is always to start from what are your expectations? Do you want to pay for tuition for your child for four years? At what school? Do you want to pay for tuition and books? Do you want to pay for tuition, books, and, and lodging? Do you want to send them to Yale so they can become a doctor? I don't even know if Yale trains doctors. You know, what is your goal? Where are you starting from? Because you work backwards from that, then maximize your free money. Running around trying to grab all the free money you can get that you can't use, that that isn't, you know, necessarily the best way to do it. So let me ask you another question, Josh. What happens if the little munchkin doesn't go to school? Do I get to keep the free money? So you don't get to keep the free money, mm-hmm. but... There, I must lose the rest of it too. Well, well, no. So, so here's, here's the good thing about it. So, so first of all, I'm going to take a step back because you might have more than one little munchkin. You may have multiple little munchkins. You may have dozens of little munchkins. Who knows? If you open a family RESP, the money that's in that RESP could be shared between the little munchkins. So child one, munchkin one goes to school. Munchkin two doesn't, that's okay. Munchkin one can use the vast majority of that RESP that's there for them, as long as it's a family RESP. That compares to an individual RESP, where you'd have a separate account for each Munchkin. And if one of them doesn't go to school, that whole RESP needs to be wrapped up in one one way, shape, or form. Yeah, we often recommend uh, family RESPs because, again, it's just a little bit easier to deal with the curveballs to get thrown at, you know, the average family in the run of a life. And again, if you're, if you think that you've just, you know, you've brought a new life into the world and they're definitely going to do a four-year degree somewhere. I don't know how to disappoint you gently or quietly, but wow, are you being optimistic? It may turn out that way, but I really wouldn't put it down as being really confident. Right? Yeah. So life, life doesn't go in a straight line. Yeah. So back to your question, what, what happens if, let's say, none of your children go to school? You have this RESP and you think, oh, well, I have this education money, can't use it for anything. There are really a number of different options, but ultimately what happens is you have the grant portion, that free money from the government is no longer free. The government says, I gave you that for education, I want it back. So you give the government back the grant portion of that RESP. But you can keep everything that you contributed to that RESP and the growth of that money over the last 15 to 20 some odd years. There are, depending on what you do with that money, when you pull it out, 
potentially some tax implications along the way for you, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. You still get access to all the money and the growth of your money over time just may have a, a couple of tax things to deal with along the way. And another wrinkle that's in there, which is particularly unpalatable to me because I don't understand the point. Uh, if you are so indebted to your alma mater that you would like to see them get money, the grant money that your munchkin's not going to use can actually be gifted to a university for no apparent reason. Even though you paid them to go to school there and you feel obligated to give them more, which again, I don't understand. You, it's another use for the free money. You can actually send it to an institution that doesn't deserve it. Uh, so that they can use it for whatever purposes that they have in mind. It, it's funny that it never really occurred to me that it was a little bit questionable maybe to give to a university until you said, why should I give my hard-earned money to a public institution, a publicly funded institution? And I thought, there's maybe a lot of sense to that. <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> That's kind of the reverse of getting the free government money, isn't it? Giving uh, government-sponsored institution free money? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing how we get conditioned over time. It's sort of like how when you're around Christmas time, you know, to give your wife a gift of a vacuum cleaner for Christmas would be the worst thing in the world. My wife would use it to beat me to death. But somehow I was given a shop vac for Christmas one year and I was really, really happy. And I'm going, how did I get conditioned to be excited about receiving a vacuum cleaner when other people consider this to be an insult? Anyway, I'm in the, I'm in the weeds again. It's not a vacuum cleaner. It's a shock pack. It's all marketing. All marketing. So now do you want to, you know, you, you keep talking about these scholarship trusts, Trot. I mean, they sound really, really good because I get to profit if other kids don't go to school. Isn't that how they work? It, yes, I guess in a nutshell, but they're also all word like primitive. I think, can I call them that? Well, Is that fair? We're going to find out when the edited version of this appears online. <laughs> That's right. I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah. So the scholarship trust, where do we start? Colin? Like on a sign because let, let me help. Let me help because you, 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 you're, you're, you're going to blow an aneurysm here if you keep going. So let's, let's just clear a couple of things up. Number one, they're going to call themselves. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to talk about the CESG, the Canada Education Savings Grant, and they're going to look like and sound like, maybe even taste like an RESP. But what differentiates the scholarship trust programs from an RESP account is what happens at dissolution. Like if you decide you no longer want to contribute, or if you decide the kid's not going to school. Under a true RESP account, those aren't big issues. The money you put in is still yours. You can put more money in or less money in year over year. None of that changes. They're perfectly flexible. The, the scholarship trust programs have a fixed monthly payment that's a bill that can cause you pay if you try to change. Either you can't, or you, there's huge penalties, or, or, or all kinds of other problems with if you're changing your monthly payment, which again, from our perspective is ludicrous. If I'm setting up a monthly savings program, why are you hitting me with a stick and telling me I can't change it? You know, again, 18 years is a long time to go on a straight line. And the other thing is they put artificial rules and regulations on money coming out and you can't actually forfeit money in some situations that you were otherwise do if you don't you know, attend an accredited universe, which is a different definition sometimes than what the RESPs have. So what you have is a product that uses some free money, which you're on record as saying is good, and it avails itself of government programs, which are good. 
but has punitive measures built into it that really make them unpalatable compared to the alternatives. Again, life doesn't go in a straight line. I can't say that enough. So if, you, if, you're, if you're still in the hospital and you're signing up for something that guarantees a monthly payment for the next 18 years for an education that you may or may not exist or qualify for, don't do it. The same amount of money can get you as, as much benefit or more benefit with much more flexibility. And have you recovered enough to comment now, Josh, or are you still at any Well, you just triggered me there for a second because you said if you're still in the hospital and signing up for these things, and this is the thing that maybe makes my skin crawl more than anything else about these is you could be a new mother still in the hospital and you're getting a phone call from a salesperson from one of these scholarship trusts telling you or asking you, do you love your child? Do you, do you want them to go to school? Your three-day-old child? If you, if your answer is yes, you should sign up for the scholarship trust. And by the way, here's some free money. And they don't tell you about all the catches. They don't tell you about all the, the fees that are involved because that's one thing you had mentioned. There's layers upon layers of potential fees here as well. So higher fees, less flexibility, a little bit predatory, and maybe sacrificing a bunch of your money sometime down the road versus an RESP that does none of these things. What are you doing? I'm not something a little predatory, but to me, that's a binary state. Either you're predatory. Well, it's like they're setting a trap. They're not necessarily eating you if you do everything well. Here's something else to put in your guide for everybody out there. If anybody ever comes up to you and asks you, do you love your children? And the next follow-up line is then you should do this. You're being sold to, they're trying to <laughs> get you to demonstrate your love to a child by making them money. And it is one of the evilest, oldest, stupidest, most transparent tricks in the book. So if anybody asks about loving your family or loving your children and as an inducement to buy something, just, just walk away. That person's not trying to help you. Now, if on the other hand, you go through more of a complete planning exercise and you properly prioritize where the education of your children, the financial support of the education for your children lies in your plans and you decide to make an allocation towards that because your current cash flow allows for it, this is a way to augment that and make it better. It does not mean that you need to desperately find a way to put away 2,500 bucks a year, regardless of anything else that's going on in your world, but it is something that makes it a little bit better. Maybe fits in with the other financial goals that you set for yourself. Yeah. And for the record, do you love your mother? Do you love your father? Do you love your brother or sister, your grandma? Those are all sales tactics yeah. in the same vein. So, oh. go ahead. Well, we never got into our argument about the value of higher <laughs> education, and I think it's all bogus. Well, you don't think it's bogus, though. I think it's overvalued. I, I think that, you know, again, we've got a huge shortage in the trade. We've got lots of clients in the trades who make exceptional livings for themselves and are very happy. And they never went to higher education. And I've got lots of, they're not clients, people that I've met and know who've got a lot of higher education. You never really get out of the launching blocks. Yeah. So, you know, this, uh, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make from a planning perspective is be careful of the financial burden that you take on in making educational choices. It's all nice to come out of school and my kids just came out of school and the, the, the counselor's telling them, you know, what do you dream to be when you grow up? And it's like, well, I want to you know, be a vet. I'm like, well, one, because I like dogs. 
no, there's got to be more to it, you know? So unfortunately there's a span in life where everybody's chasing dreams. And, you know, if you blink twice, all of a sudden you're $80,000 in debt, having chased a dream and realize that it's not practical in any way, shape or form. And now you've dug yourself a hole that you're going to have to find a way to dig out of at some point. Yeah. So, so my bigger thing was not that higher education is the panacea. You're guaranteed success if you have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or anything like that. And by the way, RESPs eligible for apprenticeships or something like yeah. that along the way. So, so that's good. My bigger thing is I think people should chase their dreams. I think they should go for that. Is that necessarily going to work out well for them financially? Maybe not. Are you guaranteed a six-figure job if you do four years of university? No, but I think in this world, if you're really, really good at what you do, you're probably going to be financially successful along the way. Well, well no, and, and I'm absolutely, I don't disagree with anything that you said. You know, my only caveat is taking on six figures of debt and in the process of doing that, that's problematic, you know, because again, you're, you're creating yourself a hole to dig out of later. That's not necessary. Chase your goals, but again, don't rack up a debt. that's going to take you 20 years to pay back because your, your dream wasn't that exciting. I, I will guarantee <laughs> it. It wasn't that satisfying. And you got to the end of that rainbow. Yeah, it didn't, it was not going to keep you warm 20 years. From. Go in eyes wide open, I guess. Exactly. Ask somebody at that. Again, chasing your dreams and living the life you want to live, fantastic. Digging a oh, financial hole for yourself that you can't ever comfortably get out of. Yeah, tell, please don't do that. Well, that, that probably goes for any profession, no matter what. If you can't, if you're not going to be able to get out of the hole, don't dig it in the first place. See, there you go. So it's, it's constrained dream chasing, I guess that's what we're talking about. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a new one. I haven't heard that. <laughs> so having said that, Colin, is there in your mind, a right amount that somebody should be aiming for in terms of education saved? It doesn't sound like it. Well, no, I mean, it depends. I mean, in my situation, I raised my family in four universities that you could walk their drive to. So yeah, in, in our situation, to set aside enough money to pay tuition for four years, that's pretty generous, right? You know, the, it's not going to be the way my children could get an education. Other situations where it's, you know, hey, there's nothing that's local. Or I want to give my child the opportunity to chase bigger dreams that may occur somewhere else in Canada or internationally, then that dollar figure gets bigger. Um, but that's to me, a very, very personal choice. Some people will say, you know what, Hey, I only want to pay half their education. I want them to pay the other half so that they're invested. Uh, I've had other clients who set it up so they paid zero education. Yeah. And when the child graduates, the parent walks in and pays off the student loan because they wanted them to make all the decisions all the way along with the weight of the financial aspect of it on their shoulders. But at the end of the day, didn't want them to have to deal with it. So they, you know, they chose to do it that way. So this is one of those things where a financial advisor can give you some perspective. Like if you sit down and explain your circumstances, you, you can ask the question, what have other people in this situation done? This will be a range. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can just, you can identify yourself on that range, uh, pick a target. But with everything else that we talk about, again, don't have an artificial target. It's like picking your pension date as your retirement date, or, you know, still, this is my RSP limit. So this is how much I have to save. Those are all artificial things that may or may not be serving your true goals over time. Just do some math. You may find out that you shouldn't be maxing at your RSP right now, or you should be maxing at your TFSA. You know, don't take these limits that are put in places. Well, that's my target because it, it it's not, it may not be terrible, but it may not be odd. Yeah. But the one thing that we've been talking about a lot this week is the cost of education has 
gone up quite substantially over time. So if you went to school 10 years ago and graduated 10 years ago and think, yeah, I probably need to save five grand a year for my child. You might be sorely disappointed in 15 years yeah. when inflation for university costs runs at 5% per year for that entire duration. Well, there's been a period very recently here in Canada where the tuition inflation rate's been double digits, yeah. like even 10, 12, 13% over periods of time. As anybody, when you start drilling into it, the nuances are even more complicated now because the amount of money awarded on scholarships has also gone up. So when I went to school, if you didn't have an ID average, you didn't get a sniff of any scholarship money. Now, if you show up to an open house and you can show them a 70% average after you know, grade 11, here's 500 bucks. You know, and it's that simple. So yeah, the tuition number is higher, but it's also quite a bit easier to get some money. So it gets a little murky as to, to what the true costs are. So again, if you look at the local universities and again, the ones I had experiences with 10 grand a year is going to be a ballpark for tuition and books. And that's, that's probably pretty reasonable right now. If one index that going forward to maybe five or 6%, a little bit higher than what we expect overall inflation to be, yeah, you're going to be at the ballpark probably. Um, but again, keep an eye on it. That's one of those goals that you review five years from now. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, shit, I didn't realize that you know, it's now $13,000. Wow. That happened fast. So you have to adjust to those kind of things. But it is, it is growing up in price more quickly than other things. And, and you're not putting a kid in school every year, so you may not see it. So don't look at it one year and say, oh, I know what the number is. And like 10 years go by and you didn't look at that number. All the universities have a numbers. You go take a look at their websites and you can find out what the current tuition is. Not every year, maybe every couple of years. Just make sure it's yeah. in the realm you're looking at. Yeah. And you made a good point there. Scholarships available, bursaries available as well. So. Something definitely, if you have a, a, a child going to school in the near term, look for those scholarships and bursaries to see if there's some financial assistance that you can get. I got one more soapbox to you because you brought up scholarships <laughs> and having been involved in minor sports a lot in my life. 97% of scholarship money is non-athletic. You want your kid to get a scholarship? Don't take them to the gym. Take them to the library. <laughs> Stop wasting everybody's time. <laughs> Can't end it up any better than that, Colin. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc. IA Private Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth, Inc. operates. Notice something. It seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihaveenoughcash.com, but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us. It'll be okay. You'll see.
The content of this presentation, including, although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client situation is different. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.